should we get this week's meeting to session? Like, should we really, though? Welcome, one and all, to week two of NaNoWriMo, the annual event where you try to write half a novel in a month. For a quick update, as of recording this, I am at 21,671 words. Though, for the Spotify listeners, the Q&A this week won't be asking what your word count is, though you can put that as an answer if you wish to share. Instead, this week's Q&A will be about any sort of question you wish to ask me, or what your thoughts on some of the questions I've received are on some of the questions I received and answered in this episode. Well, while I'm writing this, I'm running off of two hours of sleep, a ton of dread over the next two weeks in terms of my work hours in school, and a lot to think about in terms of my mental health. So let's get this topic into its activity. I don't know if that's even the proper word. I'm so goddamn tired. Just for some context, for people wondering, I've handed in my two weeks at my job at one of my jobs and started working at another. So I'm working around 47 hours between both of them this week. And the full timer at my job is leaving. I'm leaving is going on vacation next week. And whenever that happens, I'm already bombarded with hours. I also have two essays to write at my high school, which is also full time, a podcast to keep up with, and they know Rymo to host as well as many other things. Granted, my paychecks are going to look amazing, but at the same time, I am terrified. So please, be understanding if some of these questions don't really go in-depth as much as I would have liked. I'm trying my best to keep up and survive. Anyway, this week's meeting, let's do it. For anyone wondering where all these questions are from, they're from, they're from an app called Wisdom. On the app, you have the option to ask people questions and receive a response with a 60-second limit. If you're now into it, if your industry didn't exist, what would you do for a living? For this question, I believe I originally said I'd pursue something physical like running or the WNBA, but to be honest, I'm far too lazy for that. So after giving it some more thought, I believe I'd pursue something food-related like becoming a chef, opening my own restaurant, and so on. I absolutely love cooking, and it makes me so happy to do it. Though I am a vegetarian, I am still perfectly fine with cooking meat for other people. After all, meat is a lot of fun to work with in season. In fact, I've even received a nickname Spice Goddess for two reasons. One, I have a a spice tolerance so high that I am practically immune. And two, I can make food spicy without making it gross or inedible. I've spent years working with different spices and seasonings to find out the best pairings. And if I end up with a partner and and family in the future, then I will not let them cook. Before people yell at me about taking away a vital skill, let me clarify. I will not let my partner cook if I'm able to do it instead. So if I'm like away at work or I'm too busy, then of course I'll let them cook. But I have the... But if I have the chance to cook, then I am doing it. As for the kids, obviously I'll let them cook once they're old enough to reach the back of the oven. But I'll never expect them to cook in place of me. I'll look forward to teaching them everything I've taught myself. But the kitchen is my territory. So in summary, cooking 100%. Next question. Do you think there'll be another global pandemic in your lifetime? Something other than a COVID variant? 
I don't remember what I said in response to this question, but I'm going to go with no for at least another hundred years, when the system resets and history repeats itself once more. After all, the 1600s was bubonic plague, the 1700s was smallpox, the 1800s was yellow fever, the 1900s was the Spanish flu, and the 2000s was COVID. So the 2100s, I do believe there to be another pandemic, both in my lifetime, I doubt it. If there is, then I doubt it'd affect me. Unless, of course, the pandemic only affects people who don't socialize. If so, then I'm screwed. What has the pandemic taught you about yourself? The pandemic has taught me two main contrasting things. One, that my writing is best when I have socialized with people in terms of writing characters more as people and using a variety of people. And two... I've never really had the patience for people and enjoy my own presence and imagination far more than that of others. The most fascinating building I've ever been inside is blank. Describe it from memory. Abandoned buildings. Growing up, I, I was always down the street from abandoned places, whether it was a farm, a slaughterhouse, a shack, and so on and so forth. But right now, I'll instead describe the slaughterhouse. I lived a few houses down from the pla- place from the ages 8 to I be- 6 to be- I believe 8. I often walked the dogs by the house whenever my parents weren't home. One was called T-Bone, which was mine, and the other was Porkchop, which was my brother's. They were both shepherd lab dingoes and complete opposites from each other despite being siblings. Anyway, at that age I always felt a combination of, of emotions from that place Sometimes I'd be in awe at the horror of it all, and other times I'd be terrified to walk by it and would often start running just to get away from it, getting into my head that I saw something move inside or heard the ghost of a cow moo or saw a chainsaw murderer. I've been in there a few times, though only once or twice by myself since I was scared to get in trouble for trespassing. Though I've tried going into it a few times while walking T-Bone, Every single time, he'd refuse and start getting on edge, often growl- growling when i pull on him or his fur would rise up like needles. I believe because that of that, I started getting scared of it as well. Because if my guard dog didn't trust it, then I certainly shouldn't either. Hell, even with the times I have gone in there, I'd immediately start hearing my dogs bark the moment I step onto the lawn, and they wouldn't stop until I've gotten home. But the times I had gone in, it was otherworldly. There was an upstairs, but the concrete was practically demolished due to people messing around with them, so I never really got the chance to see it other than the holes in the ceiling. The echoes there, there were ghastly, often hearing up to six or seven repeats before it start to get too quiet. There was a long entry driveway that was overgrown with dried bushes and weeds that would cause us to bleed even with the slightest prick. There was graffiti almost everywhere, which was surprising since it was a small town in the middle of nowhere, with a population of less than 50 and and only a total of like 10 children, teens included. Several dicks were also drawn on the walls, of course. When I went there myself, I was too scared to touch anything thinking that they'd test for fingerprints and I'd get sent to prison. Casual, scared seven-year-old stuff. There was broken glass everywhere, empty-ish paint cans, crowbars, which I will not say what I thought they were called when I was seven, 
I have a very vivid memory of one time one of the teenagers of the town asked me that. There were even a few, like, knives, bullets, and pocket knives. For anyone scared by the word bullets, it was the middle of nowhere and cops basically didn't exist there. Of, of course, an abandoned slaughterhouse would be used as target practice. I was even given my first BB gun by the age of seven, so trust me, it was normal. Though there was occasionally blood there, but that was due to people not, like, being careful with the sharp glass and metal everywhere. Hell, even my blood was there because I'd play with glass because I'd play with glass or run my hands along the walls or, like, trip and land on the rugged concrete floor. There were large openings in the front and back of the building, one for the entrance, and the other was the backyard, which was just overgrown grass, taller than me, and a forest. The only light there would be would be would be would either <laughs> there's a grammar mistake. Uh, the only light there would be either the sun gleaming in during the rise or set, people flighters, or people using the various broken lanterns around there. The roof of the house was swamp green aluminum with many holes and such that would often blow open slightly on windy days. The high-pitched screeches of bending metal would be hear- heard throughout the entire town. The entire building smelled like, n- like a n- nostalgic combination of dust, a basement, cigarettes, and weed. The time I went there with my brother, the time I went there with my brother and the two neighborhood teenagers was magical. The sun was setting, forcing the sky to go pink, while also making the entire lawn look like it was on fire. My brother, the teens, and I were messing around and hitting things with crowbars, throwing spray cans in hopes of watching them explode, and playfully wrestle. Though I wasn't really allowed to participate, they said I'm not allowed because I'm a girl. But I still occasionally squeezed my way into the play while they were all happy, and would have fun with them until they noticed and yelled at me to stop. That day ended with someone in their truck driving by, calling us criminals, and us running away, using the darkness and the hidden paths in the trees to our advantage. The person ended up finding our parents, and for some reason, I got in the most trouble because I should know better. Even though I was the youngest there, and the three boys were basically my supervision that day since my parents were gone at the time. I wouldn't even say my brother was to blame for anything either after all. He was only ten, and we don't have many people to socialize with in the middle of nowhere, so the teenagers were our only few friends in that town. I don't think the teenagers got in trouble either, though. I don't really know, even know if they had parents in that town despite living there. I don't think there was a foster home there either, so I doubt they stayed there. Though I believe that I was told at some point that the teens had to pay a fine, but when I asked them, they denied it. So really, the people who were most aware of what was going on got let off, and the two children got in trouble. And well... That is a fascinating building that I've been inside of. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. Next question. If you could escape to any fictional land, which would you pick and why? I would escape to the lands of my one of my novel series. After all, in Death Chill, if I get lucky and am born in the Saurian realm, then it is guaranteed that I will have powers and most likely be wealthy beyond belief. Sure, there are people trying to take over the world, but there are chances that I'll be born before or after the fact. Also, 
If I'm born in the Shredder's Personas universe, then I'll be able to learn magic and such. Sure, there are some nations where I'll most likely die in an instant, but others would be amazing, like Olea with its tons of wealth and technology, Colcent where everyone is happy and looked after, Sortirid where I'll possibly get to have wings and everyone is extremely nice, or even Vagmite where I'll get to hunt and scavenge for my own food, living off the land. So yeah, if I could escape to any fictional land, then it would be either Deathchill or Shrouded Personas. As a writer, what is the hardest thing you, uh, uh, you ever had to give up to pursue that type of career? The hardest thing I'd say I had to give up were friends. I also had to give up, say, free time, lazing around, shallow thinking, and some sleep. For friends, I often got told that I'm wait. I'm just wasting time and that everything I do is shit. So I had to start cutting people out of my life due to their negative talking and so they can be a distraction or they can be a distraction around since they don't seem to understand that writing requires focus and I can't look at both them while they're complaining to me about their classes and my screen at the same time. I used to feel lonely and deprived. But I've gotten over it and now occasionally talk to people that I'd say are my friends without risking being annoyed by them. When you start writing, you also lose free time that you probably would would have originally spent watching TV or playing video games. Now that time is spent writing, which yes, when you enjoy it, you don't mind. But at the same time, it can be tiring, especially since your mind is given less time to rest. When you pursue something, you also slowly lose your ability to think shallowly, especially for fiction writers. However, you gain an appreciation for deeper thinking as well, and may even begin looking for deeper meanings and backstories within everything around you. So yeah, there was quite a bit I had to give up when becoming a writer, but I don't regret it. Because if I hadn't decided to focus on writing, then I'd be sleeping all day every day. Little to no achievement, no worlds to escape to, and friends that tear each other down and have no aspirations for the future. Describe your idea of a perfect day. Wake up at 6am, do my morning routine, do some stretches and exercises like sit-ups and squats, read for a bit, go for a run at 9am, drink some water and make a high-nutrient breakfast, write till 2pm, read for an hour, do some more exercises, Take a shower, make dinner, eat dinner while watching TV, read some more, go to sleep. How do you want to be remembered? I wish to be remembered by many things, all of which depend on my mood. But as of writing this, I wish to be remembered as a hard worker, high achiever, excellent author and podcaster, caring, helpful, reliable, welcoming, smart, strong, wealthy, jack-of-all-trades. A messed up friend, but selfless nonetheless, and capable of putting my own problems aside to help others. Describe the most meaningful personal relationship you have, what makes it so. The most meaningful personal relationship I have is with a friend of mine that I used to work with, but then he left for uni. Although we still talk all day every day, and I like to call him my support. Hell, my occasional nickname for him is even Emotional Support Idiotic Nerd. Because he supports my emotions as best he can, he's smart enough to get into McGill University, but he's also clueless as fuck. 
When him and I started talking to each other, I always loved how he'd just agree with everything I'd say. Then he'd slowly, uh, then he slowly started get comfortable enough to playfully disagree with me, and we'd have fun little debates about the dumbest stuff. We'd have box fights where we occasionally hit each other out of nowhere with boxes and fight like their swords. He was so helpful and assisted me with things even when I didn't need help. He's so caring and kind, and I'm. A- and I'm always grateful to have him in my life, especially since he has tons of patience. Even with me having breakdowns, he still does his best to talk me through it all, and I look forward to the day that I'm better, and he'll be able to see me happy for once. What hard lesson have you learned about family? A hard lesson that I've learned about family is that being related to someone is not a big, is not as big of a deal as being close to a friend. Family can backstab just as deep as friends, so they're just as unreliable. In my opinion, it's better to have a few people you trust than to make excuses for someone's actions just because you're related. Think of someone you love and say why. I'd say there are two people I love. One was the guy I mentioned earlier, so this time I'll talk about the other guy. Keep in mind this is platonic love. So this is so this is another guy that I've worked with for and for about a year too. He's just as messed up as myself, but we get along pretty well. Early on of me working with him, we used to throw food at each other and play with knives. Like I'd hold up a knife to try and use it as a shield and he'd spray me with water. It never get it never it never went as I envisioned it, and I always end up getting soaked, but nonetheless he'd still agree to try again. Though it is kind of saddening that things have since become more boring and less exciting than the way it used to be, there are still little gems here and there that I refuse to let go of the past, and I refuse to let go of the past. I'm leaving that work soon, so I won't get to see him, him that much anymore, which makes me tear up to think about. But I'm hopeful we'll still be able to continue talking to each other, no matter how busy each of us get. I love how he's brutally honest and doesn't pussyfoot when it comes to answering questions or talk about mental health. Though I definitely don't agree with his views, it's still nice to listen to his unrelenting thoughts and opinions. Perhaps at some point I'll be able to bring him on for an episode, but he has nothing to do with writing, nor do I think his advice belongs on this podcast, so I doubt there would be anything to really talk about. He can be mean at times but he always manages to make me smile in the end. My, I'm grateful for having known him and am appreciative to all of his kindness. What's a great podcast that's not your own? Why is it great? Oh, there are a few I listen to all the time before I started my own podcast. One is called Misfits. A lot of people hate them and wish they could be canceled, but I find them hilarious. They have amazing improv skills and are always just goofing around. It's an amazing podcast to listen to just when you want some entertainment and to lose brain cells. Another is called The Creative Writer's Tool Belt and is hosted by Andrew Chamberlain. Then there is Inside Creative Writing, hosted by Brad Reed. There was a third writing-related podcast I listened to, but I don't remember the name. and don't remember what the icon looked like either. But basically, these podcasts are good because they're both entertaining and informative. Brad Reed has since stopped podcasting since he feels as though it is better for him to focus on writing than podcasting, but all of his episodes are still available to listen and learn from.
Name the one place on earth you're, mo you're most thankful you've seen. Why? One place on earth I'm thankful I've seen would probably be the opening in the forest at one of the old places I used to live during sunset. For context, one of the places I used to live had 50 acres of complete forest and swamp, but there was a little opening that had the sun shining down, various broken windows, and a torn down shack that was destroyed, but made from scraps. It was beautiful, kind of like a retreat that I can, and did, escape to whenever I didn't feel safe. I'm thankful for this place because it was overgrown with earth, earth yet had a bit of proof that man-made structures will never outlast nature. When you feel most creative, what are you doing, where are you, and what time is it? When I feel most creative, I'm usually either in bed or out surrounded by nature, and it's typically the early morning before anyone else has woken up. That way I can bask in my creativity without the judgment or influence of outsiders. How do you find your footing in a shifting world? I don't. I suffer through it. But I guess I also just lean on my support whenever I can't rely on my two legs to hold me up. You wouldn't know this by looking at me, but blank. You wouldn't know this by looking at me, but I actually see myself as an optimist. Sure, if you ever have a conversation with me regarding life and such, you'll most likely Im immediately make the assumption that I'm a pessimist. However, when I was younger, I always found the positives in everything. And personally, I'm not over it. So even though I'm not fi I'm not finding it So even though I'm finding it difficult to find any sort of positive in life, sometimes I still think there will be eventually. And I'm holding on to that in hopes of more of my past optimist self will return. How much is enough? When I first answered this question, I gave it more of a joking answer due to the 60 second limit and decided to say 7. But in reality, I'd say enough for me would be to feel loved and appreciated at least once a day, since my mind, since due to my mind, it's difficult to feel it long long term. Enough for me would have would be to have someone to talk to every day, which I currently do for now at least. Enough for me would be to have at least one private, safe place to escape to, which I used to. But then it was ruined by humans, and now I have to return. Now I have nowhere to run. What is something in nature that brings you joy? Something in nature that brings me joy, I'd, I would say, would be death. And yes, death is still a part of nature. Just many people refuse to accept it. After all, without death, then life would be meaningless. Do you have any quote or poem or lyric that is so meaningful that you keep it with you? My feelings on things tend to shift regularly, but I guess a regularly used quote that I keep with me would probably be, I'm gonna die eventually. What scares you? Describe your spookiest moment. Being alone, dying alone, my career failing, and me being stuck at a minimum wage job for the rest of my life. As for the spookiest moment, <laughs> I actually can't think of anything, because for me, spooky seems like something more innocent, like walk into a dark room and hearing noises or something moves. So I wouldn't say I've necessarily really experienced anything spooky. How do you remember your first love? I remember my first love as an emotional roller coaster. When times were good, they were really good. But when times were bad, it was like the entire world was hanging on a thread. 
Nothing we did was ever good enough, but at the same time we tried our best to support each other. But then some terrible stuff happened and everything ended up being ruined. What's the most disturbing trend in your country right now? I don't really keep up with trends all that much. The ones I do find out about are usually spread through memes and such. But there is one portion of news that I see firsthand every single day on my way to and from school. And that is everything outside the Russian embassy. When I first answered this question, someone had poured fake blood outside the gates. It appears that that it was all cleaned up before I walked past it on my way home from school. So that was good. Especially in terms of children who walk by there and are forced to see everything written and trashed outside the gates. And even though it's pretty dark, I'm honestly impressed. Well, that is everything for this Q&A. My first ever Q&A, might I add. I know it was long, and this is because I was saving them all up so then I could actually have a nice and long episode where I can answer as many questions as possible. Follow at CWC Publishing on Twitter. Check out my novels, Death Trail, Flame Rip, and Arctic Plays on Amazon and Kobo, link in the description. Check out the Crave Brian Club Patreon, link in the description. Check out the Crave Brian Club Discord server in the description. Check out the Crave Brian Club Instagram at creativewriting underscore club. Check out my personal Instagram at dark underscore night underscore wolves. And let's bring this questionable meeting to an end. (laughs) 